Let's pray. Lord, as always, you teach, we listen. Let your word guide and direct in all ways and all things. Um, Through your spirit, through your spirit, just pray that you would teach, Lord. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge. We just trust your leading. And Lord, we have a tendency to forget all those events going on in the back, all the classrooms, the CBC, the youth, the teens. Lord, your blessing to be upon them just for them to grow and go deeper in you. Lord, we pray that we could be a community that just really focuses on the gospel. You know, not just this church, but just everybody, every believer in this area, we could really just focus on you. We love you and we praise you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Exodus chapter 20. Hey, but before we get into Exodus chapter 20, I just wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping from Sunday. And uh, if you were with us out here Sunday, we kind of shared some stuff about some of the things that the Lord's been laying on our heart, a lot of things that we're praying about. And I've always been the type of guy that says, hey, let's pray about these things together. Nothing's been decided, nothing's for sure, but let's get together and pray about this. If you haven't got a chance to listen to it, encourage you to get online or grab a CD of it. There's a couple questions of clarifying that have popped up throughout the week. Some of these may, may wonder, well, where did that come from? I just am a straightforward person. I'd like to share this. I had a couple people ask me after the message on Sunday, uh, sincerely, if I was looking for a pay raise. No, I'm not. I, I, and, and, and please don't laugh. I mean, some, they, no, I'm not looking for a pay raise. I want to make sure that that's clear. Uh, some people asked if Dawn was going to go out and get a job. Nope. Dawn has five boys. She has, she has six boys. She homeschools. Uh, Dawn is not going out to get a job. No. Um, some people mentioned about the idea that Dawn and I talked about our house and, and you know, if the Lord led to sell. And if, I-F, if. That's, that's a personal conviction. And I, and I know I said that Sunday, but what happens is sometimes people hear, well, if James feels led and if James is the pastor, then there should be this trickle down that I feel. No, that's, that's not how it works. And I, I want to make that really, really clear, really clear. If that was the truth, all of you would be Atlanta Braves fans because I really like the Braves. That has not trickled down to any of you. This is, this is something that Dawn and I are praying about. Is the Lord leading? I don't know. And maybe some of you are saying, well, if you don't know, why are you saying anything? Because I believe we're a family. And, and I, I, I want the Lord's will, and I want you guys to know the Lord's will, so can we all pray together for that? And I would appreciate that. Uh, somebody said something, and this was, I thought was a very nice phrase. They said, I came across Sunday as pushy. And, and I will humbly say, I am sorry if I came across as pushy. I am very passionate about what I feel the Lord may be leading to kind of do, and I don't want passionate to come across as pushy. So I apologize if it came across that way. That is not my intention in any way whatsoever. Like I told you on Sunday, we want the Lord's will. Uh, the, the church is not going to be without a pastor. I, we were not going to leave the church without a shepherd. There's none of that type of stuff going on. We're really just saying, Lord, what's the best way as a group of believers we could come together and see the gospel of Christ spread? That is all that matters. And I can't stress to you enough, people, if you have a question, call me, text me, email me, grab me after church. I would love to talk to you. If you talk to someone who has a concern, tell them to come talk to me. I tell you, guys, I've been coming out here for 22 years. I've been the pastor for 16. If you add in the times of me being an assistant, it's pushing 19. I hope you know me well enough. I love you guys. And I love this place. And I'm going to stop now or I'll probably start to cry. So, Exodus chapter 20. Now, I don't know how far we're going to go in Exodus. Generally, when I teach through Exodus, I stop after the Ten Commandments. 
And we kind of just pick up some stuff here and there about the law. And that's kind of what I was planning on doing. I had this message I was preparing. And I kind of started reading through the rest of Exodus 20. I was like, I really like this. i got to be honest. I'm the strange guy. I like the law. I do. If you're looking for a good study, I normally don't like to plug this. There's a guy by the name of John Corson. One of my favorite studies I've ever done is he literally goes through these really crazy, funky laws of like what happens if your ox gores my child. And he says, okay, let's try to see what the Lord is trying to do here. And it was just eye-opening to really say, Lord, you have a purpose in, in these weird dietary, these strange uh, hygiene laws. And the, uh, Yeah. The Bible says this. Jesus says, the whole book is written about me. I love it because when you go through this, you're like, Lord, where are you at? It's kind of like playing Where is Waldo with Jesus. Where are you at? I love it. So I don't know how far we're going to go into Exodus 20. If a month from now none of you are showing up because I'm reading you about if your ox gores a man, I understand. I may just keep going because I like it. And if you think I'm making that up, look at chapter 21, verse 28. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past and has been made to known to its owner and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. You may say, I love that. I'm just telling you right now. I just want to start teaching in those two verses. I just love this stuff. So I don't know how far we're going to go in Exodus. I know we're going to do Exodus 20. And we're going to see what happens here from then on out. I believe the law has a lot of interesting tidbits of it. Some stuff that maybe we couldn't do on a, on a Sunday or Wednesday. We can dig into it a little bit more. We'll just see what God has in store here. So, Exodus 20. And let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 18. This is after the Ten Commandments have been given. If you remember correctly from our study a couple weeks ago, they're around the mountain. And God said, don't go near the mountain. Don't touch the mountain. Don't actually stay away. And we talked about how that sounds like God is this angry God that says, uh, you know, don't come near me. When really God is saying, I want to protect you. He is so holy, so perfect, so amazing, so wonderful. He is saying that until this sin problem is dealt with, we can't have a full relationship. And so you have to stay away from the mountain from your, for your own safety. It's actually a very loving thing. Verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sounds of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin so the people stood afar off but moses drew near the thick darkness where god was i would love to see that scene here's god's presence on the mountain here's you know millions of people around this mountain and and here's moses walking into it wow Verse 22, then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You should not make anything to be with me, God's, note, little g, of silver or God's, little g, of gold. You should not make for yourselves an altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice it on your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you should not build it of hewn stone, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. See, we reread that, and we stop and we say, what is he trying to say? 
Now, if you remember correctly, when we went through Leviticus, we talked about what he's actually saying. Then we talked about how it applied to us. Okay, what he's saying is this, is that when you make an altar, you're just going to go grab some dirt. You're just going to go grab some rocks. And you're literally just going to stack these rocks up around each other. And that's your altar. I mean, that's all you're going to do. Nothing fancy. You're not going to work on it. You're not going to use any tools on it. You're not going to decorate it. You're going to do nothing. It's really going to be a pile of rocks or dirt. And you're not going to make it so big that you have to take steps up to it. Because if you take steps up to it, someone could be looking underneath and see something they shouldn't be seeing. So no steps up to it. So if you would go back during Bible times and you would see an altar, it would literally be a pile of rocks. That's all it would be. And God says, that's exactly the way I want it. Now, that's the practical. What does that apply to us? Would you please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. I hope you're as blessed by this message as I am, because when I went through this message, I thought, oh, Lord, you just love us. 1 Corinthians 1. Look at God's description of us here in 1 Corinthians 1. Reading out of the New King James, starting in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things that are despised, God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation now. I like the way that this reads it as well. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerful, excuse me, powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing that the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Can you imagine if this rule was not put in effect for altars? So we're all living in the Old Testament. There's not this rule. We would come and have an altar competition. Kind of like lighting up your house with Christmas lights. Who's got the best display? Whose looks the nice? So you would spend all your time making your altar look beautiful. You would engrave it. You would decorate it. You would spend hours looking for the most precious, best-looking stones. You would do all of this work to have this beautiful altar... And all of a sudden, your focus would be on the altar instead of the sacrifice that is representing Jesus Christ. God is trying to tell us here back in Exodus chapter 20, He just wants us. Think about this. God who goes into absolute detail on the tabernacle. He goes into absolute detail on the temple. In fact, he gets into so much detail, he says, I'm going to actually put my spirit on certain artists so that way they can do a good job. So he does all this. But yet back in Exodus 20, he says, hey, when you guys want to make me an altar, don't even touch it with a tool. Just grab the rocks, stack them up. Because it represents our nothingness in front of God. I mean, I hope you see the simplicity of that. He just wants you to come into his presence 
He's not asking for ornate rocks. He's not asking for a lot of decoration. He's not asking for a certain type of rock. He says, if you even just want to bring a bunch of dirt, just bring a bunch of dirt, because that's just what he wants. He just wants you. Somewhere along the line, we have started developing this picture of Christianity of clean yourself up first before you go to Christ. Man, he just wants you. Just like Jesus touched the lepers. Jesus went to the woman in adultery. The tax collectors fill in the blank. He just wanted them. In fact, when God decided to build his church, what did we just read in 1 Corinthians 1? He didn't ask for the wise. He didn't ask for the mighty. He didn't ask for the noble. He asked for the debased, shameful people so that no flesh should glory in his presence. And he still wants that today. And I just wonder how many of us get into this mindset of making sure our altars look beautiful rather than just focusing on presenting the sacrifice to the Lord. And that sacrifice, according to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that sacrifice is us. Is us. Let's build on this. Can you go with me to Luke 18? Let's see a practical example of, if you will, two people building an altar. Luke 18. Now, they're not actually building altars, but they're presenting their gifts, if you will. Luke 18. And he also spoke this parable to them, verse 9, Luke 18, verse 9. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, real quick, God's setting you up right there. Pharisee, tax collector. If he was telling the story 2,000 years ago, everybody automatically knows who the good guy is. It's the Pharisee. Everybody knows who the bad guy is. It's the tax collector. It's like when my boys watch a TV show or a cartoon, the bad guy's always dressed in what? Black. Good guy's always dressed in what? White. So you automatically know right from the beginning who the good guy is, who the bad guy is. Well, right here, verse 10, everybody goes, all right, I already got this one figured out. Pharisee, good guy, tax collector, bad guy. Jesus loves to flip everything up on end. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Let's stop real quick. I'm really good at praying with myself. I'm really good at praying with myself. I have some really beautiful, eloquent prayers when I pray with myself. And I agree with my prayers. And I say, James, your will be done when I pray with myself. And I have noticed that a lot of times when I talk to people throughout the years, and I ask them, how are you doing spiritually? Because they're, they're struggling. Well, you know, I pray every day. Now, I'm not there. I don't know. But I sometimes wonder, are they praying with themselves? Have you ever had a prayer time, and you really step back and you think, I don't know if I was really talking to the creator of the universe, the savior of my sins. I mean, I sure said a whole lot. Just ask yourself, who are you praying to? Well, what does it look like to pray with yourself? I can't say what it looks like for you. I can say what it looks like for me. I start out, hopefully, humble and holy and confessing and praising. But eventually, I just find myself talking to myself. And then analyzing and rehashing and then thinking. And then I catch myself and say, Amen. I pray with myself. Well, what happens? He's praying with himself. He's really not thinking about the Lord. And what's he say? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You've heard me say this little phrase out here before. Do you know how I know somebody's really on fire and doing great for the Lord? Because they tell me they're really on fire and doing great for the Lord. 
How do I know this guy is great? Because he just told me. He's not like other people. How do I know that he fasts? Well, he just told me he fasts twice a week. How do I know if he's a tither? Because he told me he's a tither. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be afraid to share something with somebody. It's like, hey, I'm fasting over this. Or, well, the Lord's really moving. No, that's a humble heart of wanting to rejoice in the Lord. This guy, he wants it known how deep and spiritual he is. Verse 13, the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God is looking for a humble altar. He is looking for an altar that has not been touched with tools. He's looking for an altar that has not been specifically chosen for the prettiest, best rocks. He's looking for an altar that just represents, I want to know you deeper, Lord. When you see an altar in the Old Testament, it always represents a man just wanting to go closer to God. And that's what he's looking for. When we start bringing the tools into it, when we start bringing the special rocks into it, we're trying to elevate it rather than what it represents, the sacrifice. One more example on this before we make our final points here. Can you go with me to Genesis 4, please? Genesis 4. As you're going to Genesis 4, I just want to let you know this. I did a search on tools in the Bible. And depending on what translation you have, I did New King James. Different translations use the word more or less. In the New King James, every time the word tool is mentioned, it's almost mentioned in a negative sense. Now, the one time it is mentioned in a somewhat positive sense is when they were building the temple. But if you guys remember the the catch when they were building the temple, is that if you were standing at the temple, you would never hear the sound of a tool working. They wanted all that work to be done outside, away from the temple. So what would happen is you would go and you would look and stop and you would see, okay, I need a block this size. Okay, you would have to now go back to the work site, make it, hewn it, work with it on tools, and then bring it back to the temple. And so let's say you brought this rock in, you brought this stone in, and you needed just to, just to take an eighth of an inch off to make it work. It'd be really tempting just to take the hammer and just, you know, chip up. Nope, God says, I want the no sound of tools around the temple. When you see tool in the Bible, tool represents our attempts at righteousness, our works. I mean, isn't that what a tool does? A tool does work. So therefore, that's why God said, I don't want any tools around the temple because it sounds like you're working for something. And it's not. It's supposed to be a picture of grace. That's why he said in Exodus 20, don't use tools, don't engrave your altars because it sounds like you're working for something. Isn't it amazing how we still do that? We still use tools on our walk with Christ to maybe make ourselves look better or to clean ourselves up or to make ourselves more presentable. And, and, and I still struggle with this. I've been walking with the Lord for 22 years. I had a situation about a week ago. And, and I felt like I wanted to give something over to the Lord in prayer. And I was getting ready to pray about it. And then I just thought back to some of these sins I've been struggling with. And I just had this brief moment of, I, I can't even give this to you, Lord. I'm such a sinner. And then I thought, this is what I honestly thought, walking with the Lord for over two decades. You know what? Maybe if I go read a little bit first, I could come to the Lord. And I caught myself, man, what are you doing, James? You're going to bring your own righteousness to the Lord? You're going to make yourself look better to God? Man, we still struggle with that. 
Well, what happens when this actually happens? Look at Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. So Abel was the shepherd, Cain is the farmer. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the Lord of the ground to the Lord. Excuse me, an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And also Abel brought of the firstborn of his flocks and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Okay, you guys know where I'm going with this. Why wasn't Cain's offering accepted? Because it represented works. It represented, I farmed this, I tilled this, I weeded this, I harvested this. So therefore, that offering is represented as works. Lord, I am bringing to you my works. And God says, yeah, I don't want them. Abel's, obviously, his sacrifice represents what? The lamb, the flock, Christ. See, this is God's plan from the beginning, that there has to be blood. There has to be the sacrifice of sin through the death. Abel is representing that, while Cain is representing bringing his works to the Lord. And God says, I I don't want that. Once again, go back to that point I made at the beginning. Can you imagine if God would not have put this rule in about altars? How much time and energy would the Old Testament saints have put in making their altar look the biggest and the best? And how ornate would it be? I mean, seriously, these people would have engraved it. They would have decorated it. And they would probably made it huge. Because they would just make it bigger and bigger and better to draw attention to the altar. Or, dare I even say, maybe out of somewhat good intentions, Lord, I love you so much. Look at how big of an altar I made to represent my love. God doesn't, no, you don't have to do that. Lord, I love you so much that I'm now going to just read the whole Bible. Okay, well, amen, that's good. But you don't have to do anything to earn his love. As you've heard me say many times, there's nothing you can do at this moment right now to make God love you any more than what he does. He just loves you. So, ask yourself this. Are we focusing on how beautiful and nice our altar looks? Are we focusing on what is supposed to be on the altar, that picture of that sacrifice? That's what I love about this quick little passage here in Exodus chapter 20. It's not about how pretty it is. It's about what it means and what it represents Don't work at it. Put your tools away. Just enjoy coming into the presence of God. And what a beautiful picture that is. Now, does anybody have any final questions, comments here about any of this here before we do our final thing? Okay. Last point I want to say is this. Look at verse 26. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. This is something that God spends a lot of time with. If you study out the law, when you get to the dress and the attire of the high priest, God is very specific on this thing. Once again, just as those stones in that altar represented our approach to God, that idea of nakedness represents the flesh. And what God is saying right here, he goes, I don't want to see your flesh. And guess what he's saying for us today? James, I don't want to see your flesh. I I don't want it to be a part of your life. I don't want anything to do with it. I, I don't want that. What does this look like? Here's our last verse we're going to. Can you go with me to Galatians, please? Galatians. Just as the Lord says, I don't want to see the nakedness of you walking up the steps, 
I don't want to see your flesh. The Lord says the same thing us today spiritually. I don't want to see your flesh because flesh represents me, my works, what I want to do. And God says, I don't want that. Galatians 6, excuse me, Galatians 5 has just a great passage on this. Uh, Verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are... We know these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Which I tell you beforehand, just as I also tell you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Real quick, what the Lord is saying is, just as he said back in Exodus 20, he goes, I don't want to see your nakedness. I don't want to see your flesh. What he's telling us right here in Galatians chapter 5, he goes, guess what, guys? I don't want to see verses 19, 20, or 21. Because I don't want to see that ever in your life. That's the nakedness. That's the flesh that will destroy. He goes, what I want to see is 22 and 23. And it is a battle, obviously, verse 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And just real quick, jump ahead to chapter 6, just to put a final point on this. Uh, Verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Boy, how simple is that? God is simply telling you, I just want you. I I don't want the fancy altar. Don't bring the fancy stones. Don't spend all your time decorating the altar. Just build the altar and spend time with me. He goes, hey, don't don't build steps because I don't want to see your nakedness. I don't want to see your flesh. Guess what he tells us here in the New Testament? Don't try to clean yourself up and come to me. He goes, just come to me because I love you and I just want to be near you. And he also tells us, hey, stay away from the flesh. Because that flesh, I don't need to see that. I don't want to see that in your life. Because that's going to reap corruption and cause problems. But, you know, sometimes we get so focused on wanting to impress our Heavenly Father that we spend so much time doing things to impress Him when really He just wants our presence. The, the, the boys and I, we love going downstairs, and, and we love playing Nerf fights. You know, we have an armory of Nerf guns. And I, when I say an armory, like, you have no idea what we have. We have semi-automatics, we have full automatics, we have shot, we have any type of Nerf gun you can ever imagine. So we always pick our teams, and everybody gets suited up, they get armed up, and so everybody's locked and loaded with knives and swords and guns. And you know what? I got my two guns I like. I'm just going to tell you, I got a pistol and a sawed-off shotgun. Those are my two favorite. I'm ready to go. Let's go. I am not kidding you. 20 minutes later, they're still fine-tuning every single one of their weapons. They want it to be perfect. They want the armor to be perfect. They want the outfit to be perfect. They want the gun to be perfect. You know, they they got this, uh, I call it the 50 cal, and it's got this belt. Every bullet has to be right. And I'm like, guys... Let's just play. I'm the 38-year-old. Guys, let's just play. They want everything to be perfect that we can't play because it's not perfect. And I'm like, boys, come on, let's just have fun. And it's not just with nerve. It's with anything. The other day, one of them was building a tower. Dad, don't open your eyes. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. It had to be perfect before Dad could see it. 
and they don't understand that Dad wants to watch them build it. I, I want to be involved. I just want to be a part of it. And sometimes I feel spiritually that's kind of the way we are with our Heavenly Father. Okay, God, I'm really going to go deeper with you, but I've got to get all this stuff in my life figured out first. And once I get everything figured out and I'm looking pretty and I'm looking good spiritually, then I'm really going to serve you. And we just read in 1 Corinthians 1 where God says, actually, I like the fools. I like the debased. I like the ugly. I like the unglorified. I, those are the ones I want, says the Lord. And I just wonder, how much time do we spend building our altars and making them look pretty when God says, just spend time with me? Boy, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we close up? All right. We may be in Exodus 21 next week. I do not know. So we'll just kind of see. And aren't you excited to see what happens when your ox gores another man? Are you not excited to see what that means and represents? So, hey, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we are so thankful that your, I can't think of a better word, your stipulations, your guidelines is just Accept Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for not requiring us to make the most beautiful, amazing altar we can see. You just want us. Ah, Lord, thank you. We love you. We praise you. And help us be the people you've called us to be. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Hey, if anybody wants to stick around, we're going to have a time of prayer up here after church. If not, have a good week. God bless. And we'll hopefully catch you next week then.